Yeah, yeah. Oak Town. Do you know about my city? Oak Town. The city of Oak. Oak Town. Oh, don't you know? Oak Town. Do you know about my city? Oak Town. The city of Oak. What's up Raider Nation? This is Randy filling in for Greg. Today's show will be an encore presentation of an interview Greg did with John Vela back in July of 2005. I'll also be giving you a couple of announcements, so why don't we just get started with show 149. Raider fans, Wednesday, June 13th, from 12 noon to 3 p.m., the 66th Mob proudly presents the Young and Hungry Promotional Day at Oakland Raiders Headquarters, 1220 Harbor Bay Parkway, Alameda, California. Meet Coach Lane Kiffin, his new coaching staff, and some of the new Raiders players. There'll be free food. Donations will be accepted to help offset costs. Sponsored by the 66 Mob. For more information, you can see the flyer on our website, www.raidernationpodcast.com. Also, www.the66mob.com. Or for more information, contact Godfather Grizz Jones, 510-589-2796. And now, here is Raider Greg with John Vela. We have the legend, John Vela. Yes, of the five gentlemen on the offensive line from 1972 to 1979, John Vela was an anchor. He's got a story to tell. It's pretty awesome. He was a... A draft in second round out of USC, number 75. Uh, he's a gentleman. Uh, by all means, we had this interview at a store in Castro Valley uh, with his son, Tony. That was there, too. I met him. It was a pleasure. So he talks about the Raiders back in the day, a little bit about Al Davis. So without further ado, I know you want me to shut up and get to the interview. So here it is. John Vela talks to the Raider Nation podcast. Number 75, John Vela. From 1972 to 1979, right tackle for the Oakland Raiders, and in 1980 went to the Vikings for one year. I'm here with John, and I just wanted to find out what happened. Tell us about yourself from the beginning in the NFL, and it's all on you, whatever you want to say. Wow. <laughs> well, the beginning. Well, probably first, uh, uh, maybe a lot of people might find a little bit interesting is, is that um, the, the draft and the scouting and combines, that wasn't very sophisticated in the early 70s. So to, to give you an idea, I was a second-round draft choice with the Raiders, and, and the Raiders had never even called me, never even did an interview, never filled out a questionnaire, never did a workout for them. Uh, they obviously saw film or saw me play in person. But as far as personal contact, well, that doesn't happen now. Now it's like... It's like, boy, you've gone to combines, you've 
had interviews, you'd fill you filled out all these profile sheets and anyway, so 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 that was kinda interesting. And growing up, being from Ohio, I was a Cleveland Brown fan. Growing up in Southern California I was an LA Ram fan. So 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 I really wasn't a Raider fan and never been to the Bay Area except except when I played at USC, except to come up here and play Cal or Stanford. Those were the only times I had been to the Bay Area. So so of course I knew about the Raiders and knew about the, the old AFL growing up, but 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 didn't really know that much about the Raiders. Silver and Black and that's about it, you know. <laughs> Jim Silver and Black, Jim Milo, uh, Daryl Monica and that's about it, you know. Um but but uh, but in, you know I did a little research with my attorney who was representing me on, on uh, you know what teams might be drafting me because because I had I knew I had a good chance to go in the first round and for sure the second round so so, so you, we we kind of did a little research on what teams needed linemen and and what teams had talked to me and 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 Raiders wasn't amongst them so they weren't they weren't they weren't on the list but so it was a surprise when they drafted me but uh, but but looking at their team you know Art Shell was left tackle Bob Brown was right tackle you know, Beeler and Upshaw were the guards and Jim Otto was the center you know I wasn't a center Otto was getting up there in age so I wasn't a center and, and but but Bob Brown had some years on him and had been playing uh, at that time, he had been playing about 10 or 11 years. So you, you kind of saw the fit there where, hey, you know, maybe maybe I can replace Bob Brown eventually, you know. And actually, that's that's what happened. It actually, it happened in my second year. Um, Bob, uh, I basically was a backup uh, my, my first year. And then the second year, Bob, from the very first game, he, he couldn't finish the game. Uh, he'd go down in the first quarter, second quarter, and I'd finish the game, and that happened in the first three games. And then in the fourth game, uh, John Madden told me I was going to start the fourth game against the, uh, at that time, the Baltimore Colts in Baltimore. And and, uh, and my first concern was, was, have you told Bob Brown yet? Because there was no way. I was already visualizing going out when they say first unit offense, for practice, I was already visualizing going into the huddle with the first group and Bob Brown showing up at the same time, and I didn't want that to happen. No. So, 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 uh, so uh, John Matt kind of looked at me and he says, "Oh, I will, I will." And and then I made sure I went I went up to Bob before practice. And I said, hey, "Have the coaches told you that I'm going to start this week?" And he says, "Oh yeah, no, don't worry about it." He says, "He says I'll help you." He was a great guy, and actually, my whole rookie year. Uh, um, the tips that Shell and Upshaw and Bob Brown and they, they were very open. I think it was one of the reasons the Raiders were were very good. Is be, that was typical of all the players that the, that the veterans uh, shared with the younger players. They didn't feel intimidated or hey, this guy could replace me or there wasn't that type of feeling. It was a feeling of hey, this guy can help us win and let me help him get better, and, and and I really felt that, you know, Dalby, who went on to play 15 years and starting three Super Bowls, uh, me, Dalby and myself were roommates, and he was a fourth-round draft choice. I was a second, and we both made the, we both made the team our rookie year. So so we were the rookies amongst all these veterans in the offensive line. So so so, and I know he. Double D, you know, he's passed away, but he would say the same thing as far as these guys helping us out.
So what are some of your memorable moments of your career with the Raiders? Well, you know, numerous games. Numerous games, I mean. Um, but but the, when I get asked that question, the first thing that comes to my mind is the, are the friendships and the good times. And, uh, I mean, looking back on it, I mean, we really enjoyed what we were doing. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, you hear some guys like, geez, I wish I would have enjoyed it more. Or I wish I, you know, you hear guys, you know, I've heard guys in other sports maybe or other teams say, geez, I would have done something different or I would have... had more fun? Had more fun or worked out different or done something different. I, I, honestly, I look back on those years and I don't think I would have done anything different. Uh, we enjoyed it at the time. We, we, it was a good bunch of guys and, and we knew we were having a good time and we knew that it was a great feeling to go out on the field. And not that we won every game, but it was a great feeling to have the confidence that you could win every game. And, and then obviously sometimes it didn't work out. But, but, but the feeling... And it was never a time we went, we went, when we went on the field that we honestly didn't think we could win every single game. And that was a great feeling where, where I feel fortunate in my career that it was with a bunch of guys and with, it, with the teams that had that feeling. Where every time you went on the field, it was like, hey, we can win this game. And, 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 and not only, even when you were playing bad in the first quarter, you're down by 10 points. And you're playing bad against a team that's inferior. The feeling was always will come back. It was never like, I never, it never, you know, obviously in the last minutes of a fourth, fourth, fourth quarter of a game, reality sets in. But, but, but never early in the game, never at halftime for sure, where, where, did you ever have that feeling like, oh, geez, we can't come back today. It was always, we can, we can do it. We can come back. I mean, shoot 28 to 7. What comes to mind right away, 28-7 to 7 against New Orleans, or was it, may, it may have been, been 28 to nothing. We were losing at halftime, and we come back and win 42-35. Uh, but, you know, games like that, and, which is really a, kind of an insignificant game when, it, when you look back on it. It wasn't a playoff game. It wasn't a rival team. But but, but, but being down that big, you know, I kind of, it kind of stays in my mind. Well, it sets a confidence, yeah. too. But but no other games stand out in my mind bigger than the Steeler games. I mean, that was just at a different level of intensity, and not only in playoffs but in the regular season. I mean, I mean, Denver was intense. The the, the rivals in our conference, Kansas City, was intense. Uh, the Chargers, you know, the Fouts teams were good teams, but who never had much of a defense and and scored a lot of points, but, you know, they, they lost a lot when they had good offenses. But, 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 but really looking back on the Pittsburgh rivalry, and there was really a, a rivalry with that they really respected us and we really respected them. And we'd see Joe Green do things on, on film, Jack Lambert do things on film as far as cheap shots and pushing and kicking guys after the play's over and giving them an extra shot to the face mask extra punch to the face mask after the play's over and, and you know what they didn't do that stuff with us because they knew that we wouldn't take it and 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 uh and that it was a, just a respect i'm probably talking about the lineman here but because i know that that swan took his shots from atkinson and tatum but i mean as far as the lineman 
the offensive line, the steel curtain, having a respect for each other where there wasn't that cheap shot after the, after the play. Uh, let, me, let me do something after the play to get an edge on them mentally or, or get, a, get, a, get, a, get physically one up on them. They, they didn't try that because they, they tried it actually when I was a rookie. Uh, not, I shouldn't say as a rookie. My second year when I became a starter and I played against them in my second year, here I was. I was 22 years old starting, playing against a steel curtain, and I'm starting with, with Upshaw and Shell, and, and at that time Otto was still starting, and Beeler. Meanwhile, all those guys have been playing, starting 10 years. Beeler was around in his sixth year, and, and here I'm tw- So they tried it with me at the beginning. But I got the respect quick, so they even stopped it with me. But they tried it in my first game or two. Talk and little little BS stuff after the play and, you know, pushing, shoving, running into you, going back to the huddle and just to see what your reaction would be. Just little mental stuff, you know, where they saw that I wasn't taking it. And they, and they eventually stopped doing it, too. But but it was, you know, kind of an initiation period that you, you realize, hey, you know, I, I, I see what these guys are doing, you know. But but uh, the Steeler rivalry was uh, was at a different level. Well, it was great for the fans, too, because yeah. I know the Steeler-Raider games were always premier yeah. and uh, were fun to watch. Yeah. I really enjoyed those games. It was a great rivalry. I still love those games whenever we play the Steelers. Mm-hmm. I, still have, I still have feelings in my gut yeah. about that rivalry. Now, you said about the attitude of the team, the no-lose, we-can-always-win. I heard that that was very big in the Vikings Super Bowl when you played them, um, that the attitude was still there, and there was no doubt that you could beat the Vikings, even though they were supposed to win the game. Well, you know, the, the, the feeling was to me was, yeah, you were in the Super Bowl, and yeah, it was it was hey, it was a huge game, and but but but, but I tell you the, the the feeling, but they weren't a rival team we were playing against. I had no bitterness or really a hatred like I did against the Steelers. I mean, I mean, and I didn't really know those guys, but just their attitude, their arrogance, how good they were, how good you felt. I felt that that we had to play as a team, I had to play as an individual. I mean, I knew I had to be at the top of my game to keep L.C. Greenwood off of Stabler. If I wasn't at the top, top of my game, he could embarrass me. And I knew that, and I think that's why I played. I mean, my best games were against the Steelers. And, and shoot, uh, this is the truth. I'm not sure. Anyway, maybe we played against them eight, nine times. I don't know if, this is the truth, I don't know if Greenwood had one sack in eight or nine games against me. And that's not the truth. And I mean, you could, uh, if he had one, he didn't have very many. But, but I mean, you're talking about eight or nine games. You're talking 30, 40 passes a game. So you're talking about something that, hey, something where I look back on, hey, I'm very proud of that. Very, this was this was a player that was outstanding. So, so I mean, I look back on that and say, hey, I, I rose to a level that I played the best I could possibly play uh, against against the top competition, you know. So. That sounds killer. How about the locker room in the Raiders? What was it like being in the locker room with all those guys? Was there any clowning? Was it a, was it a was it a solemn thing? What was the locker room back? Yeah, well, as far as the game locker room, everybody got ready in a different way. I mean, shoot, uh, Fred Bolitnikoff was a 
was a chain smoker and, and he'd go in the shower by himself and chain smoke and so he wouldn't bother anybody with his smoke. So, and he was just a nervous wreck. Mark Van Egan would be thrown up every single game. I remember that, every single game. And it got to be a joke and we'd be all looking at our, we'd be, we'd be checking our watch, <laughs> looking at the clock and say, say, it's about time for Mark. And all of a sudden we'd hear, we'd hear loud noise coming from the bathroom and we say, well, Mark's ready. And, 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 uh, and uh, you know, shoot, some guys would be as cool and as calm. Stabler looked as cool and calm as, I mean, uh, I mean, he'd wear his hat down over his eyes and look like he'd be dozing off within minutes of going out on the field. I mean, cool, just calm, and then, and then, shoot, I'd be nervous. I'd start sweating. Uh, I mean, sweat's rolling down my, you know, just just from the nervousness of, of ready to go out there. Dolby was a lot the same way. We shared lockers right next to each other. Um, and then you get some guys that would that were really talkers and 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 got themselves up by talking and and and, and encouraging themselves and encouraging others. Bob Brown was like that. And and there'd be a, they, some guys would be a constant chatter about what we're going to do today and inspirational things and swearing and combinations. And there, there'd be a handful of guys like that. There'd be a, other guys who were into their own world as far as silence and. Other guy, there was some guys, a few guys with 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 the music on, where they were tuning everything out, and so everybody was into it. It was kind of like it was like man, there was just not one way everybody was. Um, a lot different than it is in college, where everybody was pretty much one way. Everybody was quiet. <laughs> that's the way they that's the way they demanded you be. But in pros, they let you go a little bit, where everybody was man, it was like there's no one way everybody was. So. When you came to the Raiders, uh, when did you get a chance to meet Al Davis, and what was that like? Um, oh, well, shortly after I came up, uh, a good story. Uh, this is probably my first practice or two. Uh, this was I came up here. Actually, I came to a mini camp after I was drafted, and I wasn't signed yet. And my against against my attorney's wishes, because I'm not signed, and I says. I, I said I'm not going to get hurt, and I, I, I said I, I'm confident. I want to show them that that maybe I should have been a first-round draft choice, and that was kind of my arrogant, cocky, uh, you know, 21-year-old attitude coming from USC. That that I, hey, I want to show them that you know, and actually, it actually helped me because because I showed very well and competed and did everything that they wanted to see in a in a first or second-round draft choice. And John Madden. Uh, had a quote. He was interviewed, say, you know, about about how minicamp go, and he said, "Hey, we were impressed by Vela, and he should. He he looked like a first round draft choice, and probably should have been a first round draft choice." So I, I instantly cut that out of the Oakland Tribune and brought it to my attorney. And my attorney says, "This is perfect." He says, "I'm gonna next time I talk to Al Davis, next time I talk to uh, Ron Wolf, who was the negotiator at that time." Uh, who, who who eventually went on with, to the Green Bay Packers yes. is is uh, I'm gonna say hey even your coach says you should be a first round draft choice and then uh, John Madden eventually told me a story that Al Davis uh, told him don't ever make a comment about a player we haven't signed yet until we sign them. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but but, but Madden, Madden years later told me told me that Davis had told him that. But but getting back to getting back to. Uh, uh, Al Davis story. Um, th this is after I've signed, and 
and it, it, it's probably I don't know if it's that if, if it was at a mini camp or over it was in training camp in my rookie year Al Davis is watching practice and and, and I'm on the sidelines waiting for my turn to go in and and he and he's just small talking with me and how how things going and yeah you, you find a place to live who you living with it's just small talking and he goes and he goes let me tell you he said tell me the truth he says he, he said did you he says, are you taking a pay cut to play with us this year for, from what you made with the uh, Trojans? <laughs> you know, of course, he was tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> and, it, and it was a joke. And at that time, you know, SC players had a reputation of, of getting stuff under the table. And, and, the, and there was a little bit of that that went on, selling tickets for outrageous prices. And, and yeah, I took advantage of a lot of that stuff. But, but, but he knew about it because being a former SC coach, but he kind of joked. That was one of the first things he joked to me with me about, I remember. All right. Yeah. Well, he showed his sense of humor side to you. We're yeah. all professional, huh? So anything else about Al throughout the years that you noticed or that, that comes to mind? Well... Yeah, you know, I noticed, you know, it was obvious that in those days, I know it's different now that he's gotten older, but in those days he never missed a practice. And not only never missed a practice, I mean, he was out there for the whole practice. And in double days was out there for both practices. And it was not uncommon for him to call over an assistant right during a drill to correct something. And for Davis would never go on the field and act like a coach, but but he'd be right there, call over the assistant, correct him on a coaching technique that would not where we could hear it, not to embarrass the coach, but but I but but you could tell it was because he'd come back and he'd he he you could tell the coach changed it a little bit on how he was explaining to block a play or you know something like that, but um so 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 you really saw his involvement and his knowledge of the game. Um, from 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 really day one when I was a Raider, and and you know another thing that that winning the players have always been most important. Which if you're a player, shoot, that's what you want. You want an owner that wants to win, and 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 just like he does now, you know, getting a Randy Moss, getting a Jordan, it's not changed. I mean, he brought in guys like Hendricks, Matuzak. I mean, every year it was like, hey, it's not like he. He was right every time. I mean, you know. I mean, but 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 the players knew that he was trying. Where some owners, some players had experiences at other teams where owners were very content to have a, a rookie six-round choice be the backup at a certain position. Well, geez, that back that six-round choice may not be ready. Well, if this guy goes down, we got to actually start this guy. And, who, who's barely making the team, and maybe he's not good enough to, to even make the team, and, and where Davis would never be caught short. I mean, you always had the feeling that, man, he's trying to improve the team, which for the players, that's all you want an owner to be, where you, you know, you're there to play and win and have your best chance, and you always felt Davis was giving you the best chance. He, he would never cut corners as far as um, one thing I experienced in Minnesota. When we traveled, the owner would charter a 100-seat plane, and there, there would be 100 people traveling. So there would be 280-pound, 270-pound linemen sitting three across. Well, the Raiders, he never did that. He would charter, for example. There would be 100 people flying. He'd charter a plane that's at 150, and the, and the 50 players traveling would have, have a seat in between. 
players would always sit window and aisle with an open seat in the middle. We just took that for granted. But but until you went to another team, and obviously that owner for the Vikings wanted to save a few dollars, charter chartered a smaller plane, and didn't care the player sat three across. Well, you know all that makes a difference when you travel five hours across country, and you're a little more comfortable. And Davis knew that. And 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 there's other examples. I mean, shoot, as far as the type of hotel and and the food and. The equipment. They always had to have the newest equipment, the newest exercise stuff, and the newest elbow protectors, and the newest everything. I mean, he was, you know, so whatever what was new, whatever he thought could help the team win, and, and uh, there was no cutting corners, and you really noticed that as a player, which made it super first class to play for a guy like that. That's what Randy Moss said when he came. First thing he said yeah. was it's a first-class organization. Yeah. I mean, you know, shoot, you know, I, I bring up that example about the Vikings. Um, the Vikings obviously had great success. You know, I mean, going to the Super Bowl four times, they lost four times, but I mean, they've had great success over the years. But that's just an example where they did it in spite of the owner, because the owner did things that that wasn't helping them. When they set three across for a five-hour plane across country, that wasn't helping them win. But Davis knew that hey, I'll spend the extra money for a bigger charter because this could help us win. That's and, a difference. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. What do you think about the team uh, that he put together for this season? About well, the offensive line, Pete McMahon or Gallery, especially he's in his second year. Um, the Pete McMahon, a new player that just came in, 330 pounds. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know McMahon, but 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 uh, but the, their offense is going to be fine. Their offense was fine at the end of last year. You know, they struggled early in the first half of the season, but the second half, I mean, they were a good offensive offensive team. Um, Jake Grove and Gallery for rookies, they played very good, and they're going to even be better. And Grove, Grove. For being a center, really, and he played guard. I mean, he did very well. Now he's going to be a center. He'll even be better, more comfortable. Gallery will be better. Uh, Brad Badger ended the season playing very well. Um, you, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see. I, I know this kid back from high school. Uh, um, help me out. Langston Walker. Langston Walker. Skywalker, we call him. Langston Walker, you know, shoot, he's as big as a house, what, 6'8", and... You know, somewhere between 350 and 400 pounds, and that's no exaggeration. Um, how he's going to be at offensive guard, to me, that's the biggest question mark. Sims had a solid, solid year, but basically the offensive line at the end of the year was doing fine. And and to get Jordan, to get Moss, Porter will be better. Curry, Curry could be better than all of them. I mean, it's exciting. The the defense is really a question, but 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 quietly. You know, quietly, Davis has added players. I mean, I can't even tell you their names, but I know he got a linebacker, a young linebacker that's that started at Texas. I know he's got a defensive lineman that started in the Super Bowl from Philadelphia. There's so, Burgess. Yeah, so I, I know that he's gotten a handful of young veterans that don't have big names, but are all three- and four-year guys who have experience at starting, which are going to come right in, and people don't even know it. People, you know, it was on the fifth page. It wasn't front page Randy Moss store. It was the fifth page they acquired so-and-so from Texas. Well, you know, that stuff's important. They're getting a young player, and, and, and people
people don't realize it, but but the, but the defense will be improved. And, and it's hey, I'm excited. Every year is a new year, and 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 it's it's. I'm not going to be surprised at all that they're going to be a force. I think they'll be a force in the AFC West. If you look at who's who's uh, who's moving and shaking, mm-hmm. uh, the Raiders have moved and shaked. The Chiefs have tried and failed. Denver. You know they're they're trying, but you know with their bend but not break defense, looks like it's going to be broken this year. <laughs> we'll see. I think the FC West is up for grabs this year, especially with the Raiders' improvement. But that's you you know more about that just from the players' aspect. Then I buy all my stuff from John Vela, and that's no lie, and that's no horse crap either. Thank you. Because everything I'm wearing right now is John Vela merchandise. Thank you. And. Uh, I appreciate the interview, John. It's very, very cool. And thank you so much for having me here. Anytime. And we might come back and visit you again for another interview. Anytime. Let's do it again. It's been a pleasure, sir. All right. Thank you so much, John. Sure. Well, what do you think, Raider fans, from the heart or what? Absolutely. I was chilled just sitting there listening to those stories. It was awesome to hear. And I know that all the young Raider fans out there better get a load of this because this is Raider history. Uh... Nothing but a gentleman, uh, like he said, a family man. You could see it in his eyes. A Raider fan still to this day after all that, and what a gentleman. I can't say it enough. Um, and once again, I want to remind all you fans that I do appreciate you listening. So much so, I can't even tell you. But let me tell you, you can get on www.RaiderNationPodcast.com. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in, and I'd like to send shouts out to all of our men and women in our services, uh, all the armed services. Let me blurble that out, because I know there's a ton of Raider fans overseas, all you guys in Iraq, all you guys in Afghanistan and Germany and France and all over the place. My heart's out to you, and so is all of the Raider Nation. So you just take care of yourselves out there and be safe and come home to your families that love you. You know what I'm saying. Okay, that's from the heart, brother and sister. Okay. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing that interview. I enjoyed hearing it again. Don't forget, June 13th, noon to 3 p.m., Young and Hungry Promotional Day, sponsored by the 66th Mob. Raiders Headquarters, Alameda. Noon to 3 p.m., meet Lane Kiffin, his coaching staff. The Raider players, free food, pretty cool. I'll be there with my video camera. I hope to see some of you guys there. Something else to keep in mind, July 1st, nominations open up for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Last year, we made it into the five finalists in the sports category. I'm hoping we can get there again this year, except I don't want to lose out to the Fantu girls again. So support us with your votes. For Raider Greg, this is Randy. Go Raiders.